As you know, we've been doing a series around here for several weeks now. I think we're in our seventh week. It's called Better, the Promise of the Holy Spirit. And we're talking about how the Holy Spirit makes life better. We started this at the first of the year. All of your New Year's resolutions are gone and dead, long gone by now. But the Holy Spirit is interested in making your life better for 2019 still. And he can as you invite him into your life. And so each each week we've been talking about some aspect of the Holy Spirit and how he has um, come to involve himself, how he's not just a mysterious impersonal force, but he is actually the third person of the Trinity. He is God himself, and you can have a relationship with him and how important that is. Jesus said it himself in John 16, 7. He says, but I tell you the truth, it is better. Everybody say better. Better for you that I go away, for if I may not go away, the comforter, that word comforter also means helper, it means counselor, it means advocate, some translations will say, will not come to you. And if I go on, I will send him unto you. And so Jesus was saying, it's better if I leave and the Holy Spirit is sent to you. He's going to make your life better. Not in an American 21st century sort of better way. Not give you all the goodies and toys and trinkets, but better in a deep and meaningful and profound way to add meaning to your life from the scriptures and from God's heart living through you. And so... I I think it's so important to realize Jesus was excited to send you and me the Holy Spirit. And so today, I want to launch into a topic that I think uh, you've been waiting for me to talk about. And we're going to talk today about the baptism with the Holy Spirit. The baptism with the Holy Spirit. Over the past eight weeks, we've been learning a lot about him. Um, But I think this phrase, the baptism with the Holy Spirit or of the Holy Spirit, or in the Holy Spirit. These, when I say it, a bunch of you in the room get a little nervous because you've got some history, some experience, some issue in your life that gives you a negative view of the Holy Spirit, some controversy, uh, some theological controversy or teaching that has negativity associated with it. And you know, when you think about it, when you think about this, I don't think we should be surprised that there's this negativity sometimes surrounding the work of the Holy Spirit because because Satan's worst nightmare is that there would be millions of God's people walking around the earth filled with the Holy Spirit, being empowered by the Holy Spirit because if that happens, when that happens, it means that there would be all these millions of Christians walking in the footsteps of Jesus, doing what Jesus did, and undoing all the devil's hard work. This is essentially what Acts 10.38 says. It tells us how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. This is how God wants to be with you. He wants to fill you with his spirit. That's what happens when people are empowered by the Holy Spirit. And so it's no wonder that the devil wants to stir up controversy and negativity uh, around the, the, the ministry and the methods of the Holy Spirit. And so this morning I want to clear up some confusion about this. And I want to talk about Holy Spirit baptism 
because I think part of the confusion comes from the fact that the Bible mentions different baptisms. The word baptized means to cover wholly, to engulf completely, to bury, to submerge, to immerse, to overcome in thought or feeling. That's your first fill in the blank right there. Baptized means to cover wholly, engulf completely, to bury, to submerge, to overcome in thought and feeling. So there are actually three baptisms that are described in the scriptures. The first baptism is is the baptism by the Holy Spirit. Baptism by the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13 says, For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free. Now, look at that. Think about that. I want you to notice the grammar that is used in this verse. For by one Spirit we were all baptized. The preposition used here is the word by, and Webster's defines the word by to mean through the agency or instrumentality of. In other words, by refers to who, who is doing the doing. Who is actually doing this? Who is doing the baptism in this verse? It's the Holy Spirit. The person doing this baptizing is the Holy Spirit. And see, if you've been born again, if you've been born of the Spirit, like we talked about a few weeks ago, it's only because the Holy Spirit drew you. The Holy Spirit convicted you of your sinful state, is what John 16 says. The Holy Spirit made you aware of your separation from God. He was working on you all the time to glorify Jesus, to help you see who Jesus really was, that you needed him. And at that moment, you became part of something bigger than yourself. You became a member of the body of Christ. Here's how Paul describes it in Romans 12. He says, just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. And so when you and I experience salvation, we're baptized into the same body. Whose body? The body of Christ the body of Christ. The Holy Spirit is the agent who does the baptizing. In other words, the way you became a member of this body of Christ, the Holy Spirit's baptizing you. It's the baptism by the Holy Spirit. It is is how, how you are birthed into God's kingdom. Jesus described this very idea in John chapter three that we discussed just a few weeks ago. He says, you should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell what it comes from or where it is going. So it is everyone, so it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. So when you responded to that wooing, that's a fun word to know and say, wooing of the Holy Spirit, By choosing Jesus, the Holy Spirit did a mysterious and supernatural work in your life. You began to be changed. You saw things differently. He he made you spiritually alive now and for eternity. And so this is the first baptism. You are baptized into Christ by the Holy Spirit. And that makes sense because, as we've learned, the Holy Spirit is the one who glorifies Jesus, who speaks everything to our hearts, to our lives that Jesus has said, reminds us of what Jesus said. And so that's, that's the baptism by the 
Holy Spirit. Second baptism is baptism in water. Baptism in water. Now, of all the baptisms, this is the one that people are most familiar with. It's, it kind of is funny to me that this is the one everybody's the most comfortable with because it's the most thing on display, and it's, it's a, it has a weirdness to it. Like, we dress in weird clothes, and then we get in a tank, and then we push people under the water. That's like, okay, everybody's comfortable with that. But we became comfortable with it because of tradition and because we kind of understand this from history. And it is certainly something that Jesus commanded us to do. And there are significant reasons for it. He says it in Matthew 28, 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing. Everybody say baptizing. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. It's what Peter, the Apostle Peter, told 3,000 people Jewish converts to do when they asked him, what should we do in response to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in Acts 2? Verse 38 to 37 says, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now again, that's water baptism. I love how the message Bible translates Romans chapter 6. And I, today, I'm not going to try to convince you of stuff. I'm going to read a bunch of scripture and let God work on your heart and make you hungry for more of him. That's the goal of today. So a lot of scripture, and we're going to read stories. This is Romans chapter 6. It's in the message Bible, which is the modern-day translation of Eugene Peterson. Here's what it says. It says, so what do we do? Keep on sinning so God can keep on forgiving? I should hope not. If we've left the country where sin is sovereign, how can we still live in our old house there? Or didn't you realize that you packed up and left for good? This is what happened in baptism. When we went down under the water, we left the old country of sin behind. And when we came up out of the water, we entered into the new country of grace, a new life in a new land. That's what baptism into the life of Jesus means. When we are lowered into the water, it's like the burial of Jesus. When we are raised up out of the water, it is like the resurrection of Jesus. And each of us is raised into a light-filled world by our Father so that we can see where we're going in our new grace-sovereign country. Could it be any clearer? Our old way of life was nailed to the cross with Christ, a decisive end to that sin-miserable life. No longer at sin's every beck and call. What we believe is this. If we get included in Christ's sin-conquering death, we also get included in his life-saving resurrection. We know that when Jesus was raised from the dead, it was a signal of the end of death as the end. Never again will death have the last word. When Jesus died, he took sin down with him, but alive he brings God down to us. From now on, think of it this way. Sin speaks a dead language that means nothing to you. God speaks your mother tongue, and you hang on every word. You are dead to sin and alive to God. That's what Jesus did. That's a good, hey, the Bible is so awesome. You should read it every day. I've heard that somewhere. Water baptism, this is interesting. Water baptism is not about salvation. It's not about being saved. It's not about salvation, it's about resurrection. It's about a new life. 
It's about putting your old life in the past. It's about saying before God and a community that you are no longer going to be subject to the pull of the world in your life. That you're no longer going to let the world dominate you or your own sin or your own past or your own history. And you are identifying with Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. And you're entering a new life with Christ. It's very clear in Ephesians and in Romans that we are saved, we, are, we receive salvation by grace through faith. Not of yourselves so that no one can boast. No one can brag that they did it. Jesus did it, right? Okay, so, so, so water baptism is about leaving the world behind and moving into your new life with Christ. Now, one chapel, we don't practice, we don't practice infant baptism, right? Like many denominations. We practice something called baby dedication. And we dedicate baby dedication is such a, a powerful idea because you are dedicating this child to God. God gives you the children, and then He asks you to give them back to Him. And so you're dedicating them to His purpose in their lives. And so, but the reason we do this is because water baptism is a decision. Water baptism by immersion is a decision to identify with Christ. A decision of your will to go down under the water, to yield to someone. You ever notice you can't be baptized by yourself? You need someone to help you and they help you and you go under the water where you can't breathe. It's, a, it's like this symbol of death, but water baptism is so much greater than a symbol. It's an act of obedience and faith, and you come up out of the water, and there is a spiritual impact to it, witnessed by the community. It is so incredible. And I think it's something that we have to understand Jesus did out of his faith and obedience. You want, Think about it. Think about it. Jesus if there's anybody who did not need to be water baptized, <laughs> it was Jesus. He didn't need to leave his life of sin because he had no sin. He didn't need to leave his, the influence of the world. He didn't have any influence of the world that he was under. He did it out of faith and obedience. And that's why we surrender to water baptism. Now, when I'm ba- water baptized, I'm making a public announcement that declares I've come out of the world and into the kingdom of God. That's how I'm going to live, and I'm making myself accountable to this community. Now, if you've never been water baptized, I want to challenge you to take this step. I think it's so important for you to take this step of faith and obedience if you've never done it, because there's something powerful in it, a decision to leave the pull of the world that's on your life to get yourself out from under the judgment of God on the world, right? As, they, as we respond to him and his desire, you are responding to his love and grace and you're responding like Jesus out of faith and obedience. And I, and I want to encourage you, we're having a water baptism celebration on April 28th, 5.30 in the afternoon, I believe. We're gonna, it's a Sunday night. It's the Sunday after Easter, just a few weeks from now. And if you've never been water baptized or you were baptized as a child and it wasn't really part of your intention, it was just something that was placed on you culturally, I think you need to take that step. And so you can go to onechapel.com slash baptism. I think it's there on the front page as you scroll down and sign up. So that's the power and importance of the second baptism, water baptism. But then there's a third baptism, a third baptism. And it's, it is the baptism with the Holy Spirit. 
baptism with the Holy Spirit. Look at what John the Baptist said about this in Matthew 3.11. He says, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Ooh, that sounds ominous. Now, who is John the Baptist referring to when he says, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Who's he talking about? Jesus is the one. The other three gospels reinforce this point, that Jesus is the one who's baptizing you with the Holy Spirit. Mark 1.8 says, I indeed baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Luke 3.16 says, John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one more powerful than I will come, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Fuego. John 1.33 says, I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. All four Gospels emphasize the significance of the baptism with the Holy Spirit. So again, who is doing the baptism in these verses? Jesus. What is he baptizing us with or in? The Holy Spirit. Right? Maybe uh, who is he baptizing us with or in? The Holy Spirit. The baptism with the Holy Spirit is the baptism where Jesus is the baptizer, and it's Jesus baptizing us with the Spirit. Now, why is this so significant? Well, do you ever remember where Jesus' final instructions to his disciples is, is located? Like, many people think Jesus' final words of instruction were found in the final two verses of the book of Matthew. We've already read part of it. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. I mean, it sounds like the last words of Jesus, right? It even has an amen. That's, it's finished. However, I want you to consider that these words were not the last words Jesus spoke to his disciples. Jesus' final instruction to his disciples was not a go, it was a wait. His last words were not a go. It was a wait. Luke 24, 49 says, I am going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. That's a fun phrase. I want you to stay. The word stay simply means to wait. Some translations say tarry. Hang out. Wait. Don't move forward. The last, these last words are also recorded in the first chapter of Acts. Acts 1, 4 through 5. He says, on one occasion while we was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait. Everybody say wait. Wait for the gift, my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water. But in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. There are those words again. Baptized with the Holy Spirit. See, Jesus' final words to his disciples were for them to wait and receive the baptism of the Spirit before they go and try to change the world. And they, Jesus knew that if they tried to go out and change the world without the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, nothing would happen. 
Jesus was telling them, don't try to do anything that I've instructed you and called you to do until you've received Holy Spirit baptism. You'll only be striving in your own natural ability. You'll only be trying to produce something of yourself and nothing of lasting spiritual value will be accomplished. Wait, wait for what I promised you, a helper. Jesus promised a helper. Now, if you've been born again, then the Holy Spirit baptized you into Jesus the moment you were saved. The Holy Spirit did that. Remember, he wooed you. He convicted you. He made made you realize, I need Jesus. That was his work. And then he baptized you into Jesus. Now you belong to a very special family, God's family. The Apostle Paul calls it the body of Christ. But the question is, have you been water baptized? That's a really important step where you're dealing with the pull of the world and your past. And then have you asked Jesus to baptize you with the Holy Spirit? Now, if you haven't asked him to baptize you, then in whose power are you trying to do all these things? See, I'm not talking about an experience that happened 12 years ago. I'm talking about a life in the Spirit. I'm talking about a life by the Spirit. I'm talking about the Holy Spirit working in us because, see, now you were wondering when I was going to get to the water. Here it is. This is not just because I'm super thirsty today. <laughs> I, I, I've tried to figure out what is, this, what is this concept? How does it work? Because when I get saved, I should, don't I have all the Holy Spirit I need to have? And the answer to that would be te- in a technical way, of course, the Holy Spirit's been working on you. And, and, and he lives in you. Jesus lives in you, not in a little figurine. <laughs> he lives in you by the Spirit. So the Spirit, God's Spirit, is dwelling within you and he's working his way. As we've said several weeks, he's working his way out into your habits, into your thoughts, out in, your, in the way that you treat people. He's working his way through your life. Okay, so that's a wonderful thing. So when you come... To Christ, you're like filled up with this amazing spirit. You're so excited. You're so like thrilled, like something is happening to your life. And everybody knows that the people who come to Christ, they are, they are the best evangelizers. They're the best people who want to tell others about Jesus. But what happens if you just leave the cup, the glass, still? You know, we have a saying around here, we help mo- people move from where they are to where God wants them to be. And I think, I think it's a, an idea that is so important. And water is so fluid. Water is this thing that when it moves, it's powerful. When it's stagnant, guess what happens? It's poison. It gets disgusting. There's a film. I have five children. I've seen many glasses hidden in places we did not know they were there for months. And there's a film. But flowing water is beautiful. And I think the Holy Spirit is like this water. And so we can't just be filled up once and then just think that's awesome and that's all I need. See, the baptism, this is what I think, this is a great picture. The baptism with the Holy Spirit is when you decide, Holy Spirit, you're so good. You're so awesome. I just want you to dominate and control every part of my life. 
I don't want to contain you. I want you to flow through my life. I want you to do whatever you want to do. My career, my marriage, my relationships, my money, everything belongs to you. I am totally consumed by you and your direction and your work in my life. That's being immersed, submerged, baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then he's moving, he's doing stuff, and he's pouring you out and filling, filling you up, and there's this interactivity that goes on with the Holy Spirit, and, and, and we'll continue to talk about this, but, but the, being filled is not a one-time activity. Every morning, you got to get up and be filled again. It's like what you're doing when you're saying, I want to be baptized with the Holy Spirit, is I want to surrender to a life of baptism. But there is a, there is a moment when you decide that. For the first time. And then you have to keep deciding. Because there's a baptism, but I, think, but I think there is something special that happens throughout the scriptures when we see God baptizing people with the Holy Spirit. And I just want to read a few passages. We're going to read five passages, five stories in the book of Acts where where the, the Jesus baptized people with the Holy Spirit. The first is the outpouring. The outpouring, Acts 2, 1 through 11 says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And now that they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard heard their own language being spoken utterly amazed they asked aren't all these who are speaking Galileans that's another way of saying aren't these all uneducated people then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language Parthians Medes Elamites residents of Mesopotamia Judea Judea Cappadocia Pontus Asia Egypt and parts of Libya near Cyrene visitors from Rome both Jews and converts to Judaism Cretans and Arabs we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. I think this is the initial moment where God poured out his spirit in a way that Jesus had warned the disciples to wait for it. And I believe that Jesus tells us to wait. I don't know if you understand what this idea is about waiting. You know, what do we mean when we say you're waiting on somebody? You're waiting on someone. You might be waiting on them hand and foot. It's an attentiveness. Waiting on somebody is like waiting for what they need. What do they want? What, are they, what, are they, what do they need from you? And you're attentive to their every whim, their every need. And if you do it with a great attitude, you get a great tip. I think that's how we have to treat the Holy Spirit. We have to be willing to wait for him. Last week, we started what's called the $50 challenge. 
and I'm already getting a bunch of emails, and it's so fun to read your emails. I thought it was this person I was supposed to give that $50 to, but then no, it was this other person, and here's how I knew that, and here's, and you're like leaning in to this moment of being directed by the Holy Spirit, which is how we're supposed to live all the time. But you've got to decide that you want to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. In this outpouring section of Scripture, we, we learn that if, if we need help sharing the gospel or speaking about Jesus so that people can understand... Like we'll use, like, like, like we'll leap whatever cultural boundaries are on us. If we, could, if we want the Lord's help to speak to people so they'll understand who Jesus is, you need to be baptized with the Holy Spirit because that's what he's an expert at. He's ex- an expert at translating for you. Remember, the Holy Spirit is not an experience for you. The Holy Spirit, over and over again, it is the power to help others experience God. Over and over again, the focus of the Holy Spirit is for others. The fruit is for others. The gifts is for others. The, the, the work of God's Spirit is not just for you. It is for you. It will do something profound in you, but it's also to flow through you towards others. Number two, the believer's prayer. Acts 4, 23 through 31 says, on their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and re- reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, You made the heavens and the earth, in the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. And then they quote Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, what's happening here, the context of this passage is they've been persecuted. They've been beaten up. They've been thrown in jail. And so they've been released. Now they're with the believers. They're praying about this. They're quoting scripture. They're encouraging one another. And then they say this, now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Look at verse 31. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. I want you to see they prayed for signs and wonders, and they were filled with God's Spirit in order to do it. I don't think we're going to be able to share the message of Jesus without more signs and wonders in our culture. I think it's going to take more than intellectual engagement. I think it's going to take more. It's going to take something else to help people see who Jesus really is. It's going to take more than that. And we cannot be sitting by kind of trying to figure it out with our little tiny brains. When we have the creator of the universe available, who's living in us and wants to empower us, to speak boldly into people's lives. If you're having trouble speaking boldly, you may need to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. 
Number three, Simon the sorcerer, Acts 8, 14 through 24. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. And when they arrived, now you understand, Samaria, this is where all the, this is where all the half-breeds are. They're not pure Jews. They're, they, they're hated by Jewish people. And there's something going on in Samaria. So Peter and John get sent there. Verse 15, when they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. And they had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. When, the, when Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Now Simon was a great sorcerer in that city and in that community and he'd done a bunch of stuff, powerful things. Right? So, so, so he's doing all these powerful displays, but then he's following the apostles around. And they're like doing incredible displays, miracles and healings. And suddenly, suddenly they lay their hands on these people and they, and they are baptized with the Holy Spirit. He's like, can I pay you for that? Could I buy that? Look at what Peter says in verse 20. Peter answered, may your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. This is Peter being really pastoral. You have no part and share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he might forgive you for you having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. We probably need a little bit more of that around here. Then Simon answered, pray to the Lord for me so that nothing you have said may happen to me. <coughs> this is such a great story. And here's what I want you to get. Sorry. <coughs> I do need some water. Just kidding. Yep. Um, <laughs> here's what I want you to get out of this story. The disciple lays their hands on people and they receive the Holy Spirit. But the baptism of the Holy Spirit was so obviously powerful and impressive that a very talented sorcerer, Harry Potter type, wanted to get that power and offered money for it. Number four, the house of Cornelius, Acts 10, 42 through 48. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles, not God's people, others, Verse 46, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. And then Peter said, surely no one can stand in the way of, uh, in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then they asked Peter to stay with him for a few days. I love this because it gets all out of sequence. Peter's going on and on and on and on. The scripture even says he just won't stop talking until the Holy Spirit, while he's still speaking, comes on people. He just butts in. Peter, I got stuff to do here. Let me give you the Holy Spirit. And he gives them the Holy Spirit and they get overwhelmed. They start speaking in tongues. It's an amazing experience for them. And then Peter says, we better baptize these people in water. <laughs> here's, the, here's the thing. We'd like to put God in these little theological boxes. 
Oh, I just put him in. He's got to be in. Listen, the Holy Spirit, the baptism with the Holy Spirit is personal and not doctrinal. Right? Don't, get, don't, don't, don't try to put the Holy Spirit in these. Whatever you've experienced in the past, whatever has happened to you or whatever, whatever um, curiosity you've had or whatever negativity you sort of feel towards the, the work of the Holy Spirit because some of your experiences, don't put God in that little box. Because as soon as you put God in that little box, he's going to kick out the sides. He's, gonna, he, he's not going to stay in there. The order of the experience is not that important. <laughs> People experiencing God is the primary importance. Number five, Paul in Ephesus, Acts 19, 1 through 7, says while pa- Apollos was in Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. Are you guys still with me? I haven't lost you, have I? It's a lot of scripture we're getting to, but each story kind of has a profound meaning. There he found some disciples and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. (laughs) I'd love that. Holy what? A spirit? No, I I don't know anything about that. So Paul asked, then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. And Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There were about 12 men in all. I want you to see once again that Paul laid his hands on them and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They spoke in other languages and prophesied. Now, there's three observations that I just want you to to get. All five stories had something happen that was powerful, profound, and obvious. Obvious. Something significant happens when you decide you want to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Four Four of the five stories result in people speaking boldly. Boldly. Three of five stories result in people speaking in a language that they did not learn, which was a miracle. Now, that's where everybody gets nervous. Everybody gets nervous, start to talk about the speaking in tongues thing. I just want to add this little idea. It is John 20, 22. John 20, 22. This is before Jesus had left the earth after he was raised from the dead, he's meeting with the disciples and he's in this place and John records that he's hanging out with them in this room. This is where Thomas kind of like has this moment and he says, and with that he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. What is that? That was, that's, he, Jesus said, wait for something more. But then he breathed on them and said, see, I, what I believe is Jesus had raised from the dead. The gospel was now proclaimed and Jesus was saying, I am who I said I am. And the Holy Spirit baptized them into Jesus. Did you get it? The Holy, the Holy Spirit was baptizing into Jesus. But then Jesus said, wait, because there's a baptism with the Holy Spirit, right? That Jesus wanted them to wait for. And so I I want you to see that that there's something here that we have to be hungry for. There's something here that we we have to long for, that we have to look for. 
a, 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 an immersion in the work of the Spirit, a, a surrendering to Him taking over. That's what this is. And as I was in the first service, my son, Owen, he's 12 years old, and he looked up here, and afterwards he said, Dad, it was like you put the glass in there, and then you couldn't even see it. It's like when we're immersed in the Holy Spirit, people only see God and not us. Isn't that what we want? We want, we want people to see God's work, not us. That's what's required for the baptism with the Holy Spirit. And I'm, I, I'm not talking about a once-in-a-lifetime kind of experience. I'm talking about a way of life. I think Paul refers to it as life in the Spirit. He talks, he talks about it as walking in the Spirit. That's what being baptized with the Spirit is. When I was growing up, I heard a lot about a guy named D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody, great evangelist, started a Bible school in northern Chicago. What's interesting about D.L. Moody is that pastors and professors will describe him, a tout Moody as a shining example of an effective preacher and evangelist, but it is these same professors that will say that the Holy Spirit was only for first century Christians. And he doesn't do that stuff anymore. He doesn't need to. But the Holy Spirit stopped baptizing people back in the days of Peter and Paul. But if you study Moody's life, you will see something very interesting. Powerful evangelist, but he had a moment. He actually had an incredible transformative moment in his life. Years after he was saved and had already been in the ministry, he writes about it in his autobiography written by R.A. Torrey. Listen to it. It says, in the late 1800s, Moody was the pastor of a church in Chicago, which met in a rented room. Good things happen in a rented room. He thought he was doing pretty well in ministry, but eventually two elderly free Methodist women, got to watch those free Methodist women. <laughs> two elderly free Methodist women in his congregation, Auntie Cook and Mrs. Snow, began to pray for Moody to receive the baptism with the Holy Spirit. And when these prayer warriors told him what they'd been asking God to do in his life, he thanked them for their prayers, but tactfully explained that he'd received all of the Holy Spirit that there was to get when he was saved. According to Moody, as those women tenaciously continued to pray for him, he began to realize that he didn't have much in the way of supernatural power operating in his ministry. At least not the kind he saw flowing through the ordinary Christians found in the Bible. In Acts 2, he saw clearly that an outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon a person was imparted the, the power, what imparted the power to be a witness for Jesus, he ultimately came to the conclusion that he indeed lacked another baptism. He began praying for it, and he also asked the two women if they would pray for him to receive an outpouring of God's power. And not long afterwards, God answered the cry of D.L. Moody's heart. Moody had been invited to preach in England for a few days. Before his ship was scheduled to depart, he was in New York City. One day he was taking a walk when something remarkable happened. He was walking up Wall Street in New York and in the midst of the bustle and the hurry of that city, his prayer was answered. The power of God fell upon him as he walked up the street and he had to hurry off to the house of a friend who lived nearby to ask if he might have a room by himself. And in that room, he stayed alone for hours and the Holy Spirit came upon him, filling his soul with such joy that at last he had to ask God to withhold his hand lest he die on the spot from that very joy. He went out from that place with the power of the Holy Spirit upon him and when he got to London, the power of God 
<laughs> R.A. Torrey says, wrought through him mightily in North London and hundreds were added to the churches. There is something that we have to open our hearts to in the work of the Spirit. There is something that I'm trying to make you hungry for. I'm not interested in trying to convince you of something. I am interested in you believing that there is more that the Holy Spirit just wants to give you. Now, I'm going to talk in depth about the idea of speaking in tongues and the stuff that people get all hung up on. I'm going to talk about that next Sunday night at our Holy Spirit night of worship. Holy Spirit worship night. If you want to come, you want to hear about being baptized in the Holy Spirit, we're going to lay hands on people. We're going to talk about that a little bit. I'm going to share about it. I'm going to teach from the scriptures about it a little bit more. And, and, and we're going to spend that time worshiping Jesus and crying out for more of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So if you want to come and enjoy that, that's awesome. It's, um, I, want to, I want to submit to you this morning that what I'm teaching about is not a have to. It's a get to. It's not a have to. We're not talking about second-class Christians. We're not talking about people who can't do this or can't do that. We're talking about being willing to be open to everything God wants for you. So I want you to close your eyes, and I want you to bow your heads, and we're going to come to the Lord's table. And I want you to consider whether or not you have opened your life to Him, whether or not you are willing to be immersed, whether or not you want him to take over. And the Holy Spirit might bring you to thoughts about where you've limited him and where you've been unwilling to yield. And so I want you to, I want you to in these moments just to let God speak to you and let him call you to this table of communion because the table of communion is about Jesus. Jesus is the baptizer and he wants to share with you what he has. That's the picture of the communion table. What he's done, the bread representing his body broken for our healing, the cup representing the blood spilled for the forgiveness of our sins. He's the one who makes everything new and he wants to give you everything the Holy Spirit wants you to have. So I want you to see yourself coming this morning and giving up what you've held too closely, giving up what you've grasped too tightly, and I want you to give it up at this table, and then I want you to receive in, play, in its place the work of Christ, the willingness to surrender to Christ in a greater way, to surrender to Jesus and everything he wants for you, including baptizing you with the Holy Spirit. Father, we come to you and we ask you to speak to us now. We come to this table and we are reminded of your great gift, the sacrifice, taking our sins upon you and the sins of the whole world and dying and then rising again. You were, you were, you were raised from death to life by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we want to say yes to you. Yes to you. We exchange what we have for what you have. Work in us, Lord, we pray. Fill us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.